Chapter Nine of A Tangled Tale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hawaii in October two thousand and nine. A Tangled Tale by Lewis Carroll. Chapter Nine. Not Nine. A Serpent with Corners. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. It'll just take one more pebble. Whatever are you doing with those buckets? The speakers were you and Lambert. Place, the beach of Little Mendip. Time, one thirty p.m. Hugh was floating a bucket in another a size larger and trying how many pebbles it would carry without sinking. Lambert was lying on his back, doing nothing. For the next minute or two, Hugh was silent, evidently deep in thought. Suddenly he started. I say, look here, Lambert he cried. If it's alive and slimy and with legs, I don't care to, said Lambert. Didn't Balbus say this morning that if a body is immersed in liquid, it displaces as much liquid as is equal to its own bulk, said Hugh? He said things of that sort, Lambert vaguely replied. Well, just look here a minute. Here's the little bucket almost quite immersed, so the water displaced ought to be just about the same bulk. And now just look at it. He took out the little bucket as he spoke and handed the big one to Lambert. Why, there's hardly a teacup full. Do you mean to say that water is the same bulk as the little bucket? Course it is, said Lambert. Well, look here again cried Hugh triumphantly as he poured the water from the big bucket into the little one. Why, it doesn't half fill it! That's its business, said Lambert. If Balbus says it's the same bulk, why, it is the same bulk, you know. Well, I don't believe it, said Hugh. You needn't, said Lambert. Besides, it's dinner time. Come along. They found Balbus waiting dinner for them, and to him Hugh at once propounded his difficulty. Let's get you helped first, said Balbus, briskly cutting away at the joint. You know the old proverb, mutton first, mechanics afterwards. The boys did not know the proverb, but they accepted it in perfect good faith, as they did every piece of information, however startling, that came from so infallible an authority as their tutor. They ate on steadily in silence, and, when dinner was over, Hugh set out the usual array of pens, ink, and paper, while Balbus repeated to them the problem he had prepared for their afternoon's task. A friend of mine has a flower garden, a very pretty one, though no great size. How big is it? said Hugh. That's what you have to find out, Balbus gaily replied. All I tell you is that it is oblong in shape just half a yard longer than its width, and that a gravel walk, one yard wide, begins at one corner and runs all round it. Joining into itself, said Hugh. Not joining into itself, young man. Just before doing that, it turns a corner and runs round the garden again, alongside of the first portion, and then inside that again, winding in and in, and each lap touching the last one, till it has used up the whole of the area. Like a serpent with corners, said Lambert. Exactly so, and if you walk the whole length of it to the last inch, keeping in the center of the path, it's exactly two miles and half a furlong. Now, 
while you find out the length and breadth of the garden i'll see if i can think out that sea-water puzzle you said it was a flower garden hugh inquired as balbus was leaving the room i did said balbus where do the flowers grow said hugh but balbus thought it best not to hear the question he left the boys to their problem and in the silence of his own room set himself to unravel hugh's mechanical paradox to fix our thoughts he murmured to himself as with hands deep buried in his pockets he paced up and down the room we will take a cylindrical glass jar with a scale of inches marked up the side and fill it with water up to the ten inch mark and we will assume that every inch depth of jar contains a pint of water we will now take a solid cylinder such that every inch of it is equal in bulk to half a pint of water and plunge four inches of it into the water so that the end of the cylinder comes down to the six inch mark well that displaces two pints of water what becomes of them why if there were no more cylinder they would lie comfortably on top and fill the jar up to the twelve inch mark but unfortunately there is more cylinder occupying half the space between the ten inch and the twelve inch marks so that only one pint of water can be accommodated there what becomes of the other pint why if there were no more cylinder it would lie on the top and fill the jar up to the thirteen inch mark but unfortunately shade of newton he exclaimed in sudden accents of terror when does the water stop rising a bright idea struck him i'll write a little essay on it he said balbus's essay when a solid is immersed in a liquid it is well known that it displaces a portion of the liquid equal to itself in bulk and that the level of the liquid rises just so much as it would rise if a quantity of liquid had been added to it equal in bulk to the solid lardner says precisely the same process occurs when a solid is partially immersed the quantity of liquid displaced in this case equaling the portion of the solid which is immersed and the rise of the level being in proportion suppose a solid held above the surface of a liquid and partially immersed a portion of the liquid is displaced and the level of the liquid rises but by this rise of level a little bit more of the solid is of course immersed and so there is a new displacement of a second portion of the liquid and a consequent rise of level again this second rise of level causes a yet further immersion and by consequence another displacement of liquid and another rise it is self-evident that this process must continue till the entire solid is immersed and that the liquid will then begin to immerse whatever holds the solid which being connected with it must for the time be considered a part of it if you hold a stick six feet long with its end in a tumbler of water and wait long enough you must eventually be immersed the question as to the source from which the water is supplied which belongs to a high branch of mathematics and is therefore beyond our present scope does not apply to the sea let us therefore take the familiar instance of a man standing at the edge of the sea at ebb tide with a solid in his hand which he partially immerses he remains steadfast and unmoved and we all know that he must be drowned 
the multitudes who daily perish in this manner to attest the philosophical truth and whose bodies the unreasoning wave casts sullenly upon our thankless shores have a truer claim to be called the martyrs of science than a galileo or a kepler to use cothus eloquent phrase they are the unnamed demigods of the nineteenth century footnote note by the writer for the above essay i am indebted to a dear friend now deceased End footnote. there's a fallacy somewhere he murmured drowsily as he stretched his long legs upon the sofa i must think it over again he closed his eyes in order to concentrate his attention more perfectly and for the next hour or so his slow and regular breathing bore witness to the careful deliberation with which he was investigating this new and perplexing view of the subject End of chapter.